Father, thank you. Thank you for silence and in the silence how uh, we remember and we pause and, and recognize that, um, that you're present and that your spirit is with us and in us. And so we ask that your spirit would move freely in the room to, to encourage and equip and maybe even convict that you might be honored and that we might be blessed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It is a, a privilege uh, to be able to preach God's word with you this morning. As John mentioned earlier, um, our family is here on a temporary assignment. How temporary is, uh, me and John kind of have a debate about how temporary it is, uh, but minimally we're here through the fall. And, uh, it, you know, living in um, Arizona and still we have our house in California is, is this kind of odd thing. And so uh, for different reasons at different times, we've had to go back to the house in California. And so this last time it was because of a funeral. And so it was just me, and I, I, I got on a plane and flew back home for this funeral. And when I came back home, uh, my kids had all of these uh, tasks for me to do, uh, a list of things that they had forgotten or this piece of clothing or, or something. And so I have this list, and I'm going through the house, and uh, I, I go into different desks and different rooms, and I get to this one desk in our downstairs uh, kind of den family area, and I open up the desk looking for some kind of uh, electronic equipment for my son, and I find this packet of photos. And so I open it up, and you know they're old because they're faded, well one, because they're photos, they're not digital, <laughs> and I'm holding them in my hand, but they're, but they're faded, and, and they're square in shape. For those of you in the 70s, remember that sometimes you can get them printed as squares. So I start flipping through these photos, and I was just surprised to see this particular one. I don't know if we're able to get it on. So this one, the, the, the rascally little guy sitting uh, to the side there is me, and that's my dad. And this is uh, in the late 1970s, we're at a Christian camp uh, called Mount Hermon in the Santa Cruz Mountains. And so the picture kind of uh, arrested or it just captured me so quickly because uh, I had not seen this picture in decades. And then it was probably less than a year and a half later that my dad actually passed away from stomach cancer. And so I, I, it kind of brought all these thoughts and feelings back to that moment. And, and for some reason, because my mom was my chauffeur for the weekend bringing me around, I thought to my mom, and my mom told me a story shortly after my dad passed and said she was obviously heartbroken, she was in mourning, but one of the most heartbreaking moments for her was when I came up to her, uh, my dad passed away in May, and when I came up to her that summer and said, are we still going to have my birthday in September? Now. When there's a great loss, naturally we begin to ask, are things still gonna be the same? 
And if they're not, what's it going to be like? And if you've ever been in a situation or a season like that, then one of the predominant feelings when you're in a place of loss like that is fear. Maybe you too have experienced a recent loss. It may be a big loss like losing a loved one or a significant season of life. Or maybe simply it's a loss of what was once comfortable. Like the people of Israel, you too may be gripped by great uncertainty about the future. And yet, if so, let the words of God in Isaiah 43 and 44 ring true as he says to them and he says to you and me, fear not. Fear not. So let, let, let's take a, a, a deeper look into Isaiah 43. And we're not going to have time, obviously, to cover all of 43 or 44. Can I get the slide forwarded? Sorry, I, I've been causing problems for the AV guys all morning. <laughs> so if there's any glitches, it's all me. Uh, because normally I would control the screen from here. And it was working this morning, and then at the last minute, of course, it doesn't. So thank you to the AV team. There's three guys back there pulling their hair out, trying not to curse my name. So thank you, gentlemen. Now, as we begin Isaiah 43, it begins with the words, but now, but now. And hearing these words naturally struck fear in Israel. And so let's remember at this particular point in their history, they're suffering as slaves in Babylon. In the previous chapter, chapter 42, this was clearly judgment on their disobedience. So Israel was not just ignorant of God, their, their hearts were hardened against him. And so God allowed the people to go their way and experience the natural consequences of their wayward behavior. Like the prodigal son, their sin led them naturally into a pigsty. So this is where today's chapter of Isaiah begins. It's in the pigsty of Babylon. And so if we do a quick read of Isaiah 43 through 44 and hear the words, fear not, it's tempting to assume that God is saying, be brave in an uncertain world. But we must note that the people aren't afraid of a scary world. They're afraid of God. They're afraid that God's going to give them more of what they deserve. And so when they hear the words, but now, they're wondering, Oh no, now what? Are things about to get worse? Brothers and sisters, have you ever been in that place with God? You've been maybe a little less faithful, maybe a bad string of decisions, maybe led to some painful places. You're a believer in Christ, but you're in a spiritual rut. And maybe you're suffering the consequences of those choices. If this is you, then hear what God says, fear not. And for those who are in Christ, fear not. And it may be hard for you to believe as it was for the Israelites to believe to fear not. And so he repeats it again in verse 5, fear not. And then again in chapter 44, verse 2, if you could advance the slide. Again. Again. Uh, six verses later, in verse 8, uh, one, he says, and in verse 44, uh, 
verse 2, fear not again. And then later in verse 8, he says very clearly, fear not, fear not, fear not, nor be afraid. So we have to ask and wonder, why does God say this and why does he say it so often? At least in these two chapters. So let's take an even closer look. Again, at chapter 43, if you look at verse 3 in particular, God clearly says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Now, every time we see the word Lord in all caps, that's the word Yahweh. And this is the name that God gave himself. It's unique to him. It, 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 it means that he's self-existent. He's eternal. There's no other God like him. He's the only God. And so the Jews felt that God's name that he gave himself was so holy that they didn't want to, to say it out loud. They didn't feel worthy in many ways to say it out loud. And so in, wherever the word Yahweh would come up in the Old Testament, they, they would insert the word Lord or Adonai. And so every time you see the word uh, Lord in all capital letters, it's the word Yahweh. And so if we look later in verses 11 through 15, he says it again. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. And then again in verse 14, I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. And in verse 15 again, I am the Lord, your Holy One. And if that's not clear enough, in verse 12, right in the middle, he says, I am God. I'm Yahweh, I'm the Holy One of Israel, I am the only God. And that's really powerful, but we kind of want to wonder, maybe, why state the obvious? In other words, don't the people already know he's God? They do, but if you were there sitting with them in Babylon, wouldn't you begin to wonder if your God was still powerful? For the Israelites, it was tempting to think maybe the exile was not a punishment for their sins, but maybe because the Babylonian gods are a little more powerful. Isn't it always that way with false gods? Idols always appear more helpful, more powerful than they really are. They promise a life that is fulfilling, but always leave us empty and wanting. Now, in our current culture, we're usually not tempted to worship the gods of other religions. Our idols are usually often things that we prioritize above God. They're not usually inherently evil. They're just usually kind of misprioritized or misordered, as St. Augustine would say, or disordered loves. Things like money or food or sports or family or education or a serious relationship are not bad but they can be idolatrous when we trust them more than God to help us and satisfy us. In the ministry I serve with, a ministry called See Jesus, I have the opportunity to work with uh, different churches and ministries and pastors in different parts of the world, especially Asia. In the last three years, I've had the opportunity and privilege to partner a lot with those who are working uh, in China. And so it's been humbling to, to see and be a part of what God is doing there. And so um, one of the pastors there is a man named Wang Yi. And Wang Yi is uh, imprisoned. He's serving in a 
prison term that's nine years, and he's in year four of that term. And uh, Wang Yi has a, a, an amazing testimony, but uh, he, he, he had this sense at a certain point that he was going to be arrested. So amongst other things, uh, two major things that he did is, one, he purposely regained the weight that he actually had lost previously in anticipation he would be in prison. And secondly, he said to the church leaders, when I'm arrested, release everything that I've ever written publicly. And so more recently, uh, there were uh, different editors and authors who gathered a lot of Wang Yi's writings and published it in a book called Faithful Obedience. And so in it, Wang Yi writes this about the second commandment. In other words, you shall have no other gods or before me. He says, the bride only has one husband. The church only has one head. And the soul only has one king. For believers to truly understand this commandment and take it seriously in the face of anything or person that craves dominion or obligation over our lives, whether it's spouses or parents or country or political party, no matter if the request is accompanied with tears or guns, our response is simply this. Thus says the Lord, you will have no other God. Brothers and sisters, what in our lives craves dominion of our attention, our time, our resources, over and above God? God's word is still the same. You will have no other gods before me. Do you realize that this commandment is not just for the sake of God's glory, but it's for the sake of our blessing? And so what happens when we finally get that raise at work or that A in that class or maybe that boyfriend or that girlfriend that we were longing to have or that latest tech gadget or fashionable piece of clothing? Isn't there usually this sense of excitement and joy when you get it or when it happens? And then there may be a brief moment, if we're all honest, that we begin to wonder, there's this small thought in our head is that it? What else is there? Isaiah 44 verses 9 through 20 goes on to talk about the folly of idols, mere gods crafted by people. And he says, in, in, in particular in verse 20, he says, the idol makers are deluded in ways that lead us all astray. And so what happens when we pour our hearts and our hopes into idols and they leave us frustrated and empty? God's word rings true once again. God says, I am still God. And in verse 46 of chapter 43, he goes on to specifically say, I am your king. I am the Lord. In verse 6, he says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And in verse 8, he says, fear not nor be afraid. Is there any other God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. 
Brothers and sisters, fear not, for God is still God. The good news is that God is still God. He's still the Lord Yahweh, the only true God. He's still on the throne. He still reigns. He's still your king and mine. Now, having said that, God's holiness can be overwhelming for an unholy people, and so it was terrifying for the Israelites, and it should be for us as well. And so yet, hear the words of 43 verse 1 again. God says, fear not. Why? Because I have redeemed you. Yes, I am the Lord, your Holy One, but in verse 3, he says, I'm your Savior. In fact, in verse 11, he says, besides me, there is no other Savior. So how can God be holy and remain faithful to an unfaithful people? A price had to be paid. And we don't have enough righteous capital to pay our own sins, but God does, and he chose to do so. And so at the end of verse 43, God says in verse 25, he's the one who blots out transgressions. He does it for his own sake. And he says, I will not remember your sins. And so fear not, because God redeems his people. He saves his people. How did he do it? God ultimately sent his son to pay for the sins of his people once and for all. And so if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, if you're a Christian, then you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So when God says, fear not, the words should not ring like a, a, a haunting, a, a, a scary a, a noise, but a sweet melody in the ears of its hearers. But redemption is not just a business transaction. It's deeply personal. Redemption cost God the life of his own son, but it's also deeply personal for you and me because it's not like God just paid the bill and moved on with the rest of what's happening in the universe. Did you notice specifically, or, or when I think about it, I, I often think about uh, this lunch that I had with a, a friend. And it was a pretty nice lunch, a pretty expensive lunch. And so at the end of the, the lunch, the bill comes. We both reach for the bill to pay it. He grabs it. And I said, no, let me, let me pay. And he said, no, this is what I do. So that, that, that kind of struck me funny. And I, I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, this is just what I do. He said, I, I pay for pastors. This was when I was a pastor. I pay for pastors' meals. Now, I think his heart and his intent was good, but it didn't feel that good. It didn't feel like, I want to bless you, I appreciate you. It felt like this is just what I do. Now, when God pays our eternal debt at the cost of his own son's life, and we ask him, why, God, would you do such a thing? He and he alone has all the right in the world to say, this is just what I do. Because this is who I am. And yet, he doesn't really do that. Notice that God doesn't say, this is just who I am. And in verse 1, he says specifically, and notice the, the personal, uh, uh, close, intimate words of 43 verse 1. If you can flip the slide. 
He says, I created you. I formed you. He says, I redeemed you. And if that's not personal enough, I've called you by name. And if that's not overwhelming enough, in verse uh, 1 at the end, he says, you are mine. And then in verse 4, it gets even more intimate. And for some of us, this is even more overwhelming. He doesn't just say, I redeemed you and that's what I do, but I redeemed you because, verse 4, you're precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. God didn't save you because he had to, and he didn't just save you because that's what he does, although he does. He saved you because he wanted to. And he wanted you. Why? I have no idea except that's who God is. He's not just the one who redeems, he's the one who loves and dearly and personally and intimately loves. I know my own heart and I ask, why God, why? I know some of you personally and I ask, why God, why? But <laughs> it's because he wants to. And so beloved, fear not because God is still God, but also fear not because that very God still loves you dearly. He created you. He knows you. He redeemed you. He has not taken his eye off of you. He called you by name. You're his. You're precious in his eyes. He loves you dearly. And so fear not because God is still God, and, and, and fear not because God still loves you dearly. And thirdly, fear not because God is still doing the same thing, but in a new way. If we look at the end of chapter 43, more specifically in verses 16 through 19, uh, let me read it here for you. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they're extinguished, quenched like a wick. Now, in those first two verses, in 16 and 17, you get this imagery, and it's purposeful, of trying to conjure up the past of Israel, and more specifically, to conjure up the imagery of the Exodus. And so if you remember the Exodus, when God freed their, his people from slavery, uh, the ten plagues, let my people go, Moses let them all out, uh, Pharaoh pursued, God parts the Red Sea, the people pass through safely, and as soon as they pass through and Pharaoh's army are in there, he collapses the wall of water and saves the people. And so you have this imagery in the people's minds immediately in verses 16 and 17, and then 
he says the words of verses 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Isn't it interesting? He says, he conjures up the imagery of his faithfulness in the past, and he says, don't remember the past things. After all, aren't there all these places in Scripture where he says, don't forget, don't forget, remember. Uh, when you get on the other side of the river, stack up the rocks as a monument to remember. And so he recalls of his faithfulness in a, in a magnificent way in terms of the parting of the Red Sea, and then he says, don't remember the former things. Why? Because in verse 19 he says, I'm doing a new thing. And now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God is still the same God who saved the people. He's still the same God who saved them from Egypt. He still loves them, but he's the same God doing the same thing in a new way. In other words, God will always be his people's rescuer, but he always won't do it by parting a Red Sea. And so it's possible that people are somewhat midway through their captivity in Babylon, and they're kind of stuck between a, a remembrance of a glorious past and uh, hopefully a hopeful future that they're trying to dream of. They're, they're kind of like that shish kebab where you, you, you got a piece of meat and then you got a piece of meat and in between there you got a, a, an onion. And so, if you've ever cooked shish kebab on a barbecue, you know that, you know, the meat cooks slower, so the onion gets dried out and burnt. So the people are stuck between two good seasons, and they're, it's, it's in the dry onion season. And so, they're, they're, they're kind of sitting there, and, and God's saying, you may remember the Red Sea in the past, but don't assume and look for always a Red Sea to part in the future. In fact, if you do, he says, you will not perceive it. In fact, you might miss it. And so God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. But don't get stuck in thinking that he's always going to do the th same things in the same way. As his children, God will always bless us. He'll love us. He'll lead us. But how it unfolds, when it unfolds, will vary greatly. And so some of us have experienced great loss. Passing of a loved one, uh, uh, we've lost our health, maybe a season of life with our children. And so following the Lord is not devoid of hard times. God says in verse 2 of 43 earlier, he says, you will pass through rivers, but you won't be overwhelmed. And he says, you'll walk through fire, but you won't be consumed. Why is that? Because God is with you. Beloved, fear not. Why? Because God is still God. The world in your life is not spinning out of his control. Fear not. Why? Because he still loves you dearly. There will be floods and fires, but you will not drown or burn because God is with you. He's not just reigning on high, but he's right here with you in and through his spirit. And so later on in chapter 44, he actually talks about the time 
when God will come in, 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 a, in a distant future where he says, I will pour out my spirit upon you. Sorry, you can flip that backwards. He says, I will pour out my spirit upon you. And we know that when the spirit comes and he comes and dwells, uh, Jesus says he's going to dwell where? In us. When you love somebody, you want to get as close as you can to them. And so for God, it was just not good enough to come to this earth and dwell amongst us. He literally wanted to climb inside of us in and through his spirit. And so it may not always feel like it as you walk through the floods and through the fires, but God is not only with you, he's in you. And he loves you dearly. And I know this not just as truth of scripture, but I've seen this personally unfold in my life. And so now you can show the other picture. So I'm flipping through the pictures after that one of my dad, and I get to this one. I, I, I flip it around to the back and I realize this is my ninth birthday. This is the September after my dad passed away. I did have a birthday. Some things were still the same. I had a cake. My mom made a Superman cake. Uh, to the my, right there, uh, some things are, don't change. My cousin's there without a, a shirt. He's, he's just... <laughs> the crazy thing is, is that guy today is like a, like a literature professor at a uni prestigious university. Who would have known, right? So <laughs> some things are, are obviously the same. But some things weren't. Obviously, my dad wasn't there. Obviously, my life had totally changed. But I realized over time, and it's taken a long time, that many birthdays have passed since then. I just celebrated my 50th last year. And so it just made me think there in the darkness of my house as I looked at this picture, how many birthdays had passed. And yes, I was still celebrating birthdays, but each one marked the same faithful God who loved me dearly year after year after year after year. And there were floods and there were fires, but he was there. And some of those floods and fires were a little bit deeper and a little bit wider, but he's been faithful. He was the same God doing the same thing in a new way over and over and over again. And so, over 40 years later from that picture, I still worship the same God, my King, your King, who still loves you and me dearly. And he's continually doing a good work in surprisingly new ways. Now, remember when I said, if people get stuck hunting for a Red Sea, they might miss the new thing God was doing? Unfortunately, many actually did. You could show the, the next slide. For over 400 years later, after that passage in Isaiah was written, a man dressed in camel hair and eating locusts and honey bursts on the scene. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The God of John the Baptist was still Yahweh, the only true God. He still redeemed and loved his people dearly. He was still the same God doing the same thing, but in a new and even far greater way, rather than simply save his people from slavery in a foreign land, he chose and decided that he was going to save his people for all time. And the new thing that he was doing, amongst other things, was he was sending his son, who would close the gap completely between himself and an unfaithful people. And so this morning, we have we're actually going to do something where God actually says in Scripture, remember. We're going we're gonna to head right into a time of remembering the Lord's Supper, and God says, as Jesus said specifically, remember. And so as we, we, we partake of the bread, we remember his body that was broken, and as we drink of the cup, we remember that his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so there's gonna, there, there should be a good tension this morning as we partake. If you are in Christ, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you're welcome to come and remember what he did. And that's a marker, a place, where in the Old Testament he said, I'm going to be doing the same thing, but in a new and greater way. We remember that thing. But they also says, Paul says in Corinthians, as we partake of the bread and drink of the cup, we also remember what is to come. In other words, God is not done yet. And so we partake with remembrance and confidence and, and, and gratitude, but also with great hope. That the work that he began in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and in your life today is still at work, and he's not done yet. So let's prepare our hearts in prayer. Uh, Father, we, we, we thank you. We thank you. You're such an amazing story writer. You write stories that are, are, are just so deep so purposeful, so real. And you're the same God who in some senses writes the same story, but in such new and creative ways. So you not only part Red Seas, but thank you, Father, that, that you chose to come and dwell amongst us and that you chose to, to come pay with your own life through your son Jesus. And so, Lord, we, we, we remember your faithfulness as we partake of the meal. And yet, Lord, we, we want to be perceptive of the new things that you continue to do. The, the, the old God, the, the same God, doing the same thing, but, Lord, in, in so many new ways. So, so give us eyes of remembrance. Give us eyes of faith as we partake. And we pray this in Jesus' name.